The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas show where we bring a disclosure one guest at a time I'm your host Mel Fabregas and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again and if this is your first time make yourself at home as usual I want to welcome and thank our new Veritas members you are keeping Veritas alive and speaking of disclosure Tonight, we are honored to have the man who started the Disclosure Project, Dr. Stephen Greer. As you know, my goal is always to have at least a two-hour show for you. In many instances, the show exceeds the allotted time, but since we don't have any limitations, we do it when appropriate. However, sometimes a guest can only commit for less time. Although Dr. Greer would have been happy to do a two-hour show, he had a scheduled meeting in Washington, D.C., and had a limited amount of time. Nonetheless, Dr. Greer is known for the quality and not the quantity. I'm sure you'll enjoy tonight's interview. And this is the last reminder about this weekend's C-SETI event in Rio Rico, Arizona, October 24th, 25th, and 26th, with Dr. Stephen Greer, Colin Andrews, Dr. Ted Loader, Dr. Lynn Gitai, and making contact every night. I will be there this weekend, and don't forget to say hello. I'm looking forward to meeting you and spending a great weekend. 
hopefully we'll make contact together. I hope to interview some of the speakers and even get your reactions. I will report next week. Some of you have emailed describing yourselves and have asked me to describe myself physically so that you can find me there. There is a picture of me on the about section of our website, so hopefully you won't miss me. If you need to get in touch with me, send an email to mail, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com. I really enjoy your questions and feedback. And speaking of feedback, I'm starting to collect names, names of the guests you'd like me to interview in the next few weeks, leading to next year. Since I'd like to involve you as much as I can, there is a thread at the forum entitled, Who Would You Like Me To Interview? Feel free to stop by the forum and include one person you would like me to interview, and a compelling reason, and some links to that person's work. I will then put a list of those names together, and will initiate a poll so that the audience can vote. That's how I will start choosing names for next year. Some of you have asked if I could include our Veritas chat with Andrew Bashago in a show, which until now has been inside the Veritas vault. Well, since tonight's show is a bit shorter than usual, I have included Andy's chat with us at the end of this show. However, I will remove it in a few days, when next week's show is uploaded. Some people who have listened to the chat already have said it is more revealing than the actual show. So if you're not a Veritas member, here's another reason to join. Again, the chat will be included at the end of tonight's show for a limited amount of time only. If you're listening to this show a week after the broadcast day, you'll find the chat inside the Veritas vault at the Manticore forum. So it's not going away. By the way, did you see the latest Veritas poll? The question was, will you be taking the swine flu vaccine? As of this week, 97% of the respondents say no. I know, we're biased since we haven't covered the truth here. I'm surprised there's anyone visiting our website who still believes taking the shot is the right thing to do. I have received email regarding some news coming from David Wilcock, where David states that disclosure is imminent by President Obama on November the 27th, he even gives a date. He has given some amazing speeches in the past, tying into French science, the nature of consciousness, and ET slash UFO phenomenon. That being said, he dropped a bombshell a few weeks ago that was so out there that even I had to admit I am at the very least raising an eyebrow of skepticism. He says not only are his quote-unquote insiders within the intelligence community telling him that President Obama plans full disclosure before the year's end, but that there is a two-hour international TV spot reserved and paid for this event. But that's not even the most credible out there part. He also says that these intelligence agents are saying that this disclosure and international TV broadcast will introduce us to human-looking ETs that are here. Some people have asked for my opinion, and I traditionally do not comment on other people who make these sort of predictions. We'll remember Blossom Goodchild on October 14, 2008. However, I have to make reference to another show. You may remember how during my last show with Stephen Bassett, I asked him to take me through a disclosure scenario. 
You can go back to that show and listen to the whole explanation. But I remember very clearly how he said that disclosure in the United States would more than likely occur the day after Thanksgiving, on a Friday. This for a number of reasons. One, most people are spending the weekend in the company of loved ones, so the news are easier to digest with loved ones around you. And two, the stock market is closed and it gives a few days for people, investors, the market to digest the news. Well, November the 27th, per David Wilcock, is the day after Thanksgiving this year. Although I have a hard time with dates, Stephen Bassett's analysis of the feasibility of this day does make sense. Although with low expectations, I will be watching that day closely. And by the way, Stephen Bassett's scenario was only a possibility if it were to happen. He did not uh, uh, predict or, or put the date out there as if it was going to happen. That's something that David Wilcock uh, did say, and it was said after Stephen Bassett said what he said on the show. And now, get ready to spend some time with the founder of the Disclosure Project. Is Disclosure imminent? What would have happened with the Disclosure Movement if September the 11th had not happened? Why is the movement focused on the people as opposed to the government? As Dr. Stephen Greer will tell us, Disclosure has already happened. We just need to look at the evidence. Dr. Stephen Greer is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas. And you're listening to The Veritas Show. Don't go anywhere. Most of the great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. Jim Nichols, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Dr. Stephen Greer is the founder and director of The Disclosure Project, a lifetime member of Alpha Omega Alpha, the nation's most prestigious medical honor society. Dr. Greer is an emergency physician and former chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Coldwell Memorial Hospital in North Carolina. In addition to heading the Disclosure Project, he has also been supervising a worldwide search for alternative energy sources, specifically those known as zero-point or over-unity devices, with a plan to identify and develop systems which will eliminate the need for fossil fuels. On May 9, 2001, as director of the Disclosure Project, Dr. Greer presided over the Disclosure Project press conference from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., over 20 military, government, intelligence, and corporate witnesses presented compelling testimony regarding the existence of extraterrestrial life forms visiting the planet, 
and the reverse engineering of the energy and propulsion systems of these craft. Over one billion people heard of the press conference through webcast and subsequent media outlets around the world. The transmission had the largest webcast in the history of the National Press Club. And today, we are honored to have with us the founder and director of the Disclosure Project, Dr. Stephen Greer. Hello, Dr. Greer, and welcome to the Veritas Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And by the way, it's been more than eight years since that very important date, May the 9th, 2001. I want to ask you this question first. If the events of September the 11th, 2001 had not happened, do you think disclosure, or at least partial disclosure, may have occurred? Well, ironically, it has occurred. I mean, what uh, most uh, people don't realize here, and this is something that I work on on a daily and hourly basis, is that since that time, the number of governments around the world that have opened their files has grown to some uh, more than a dozen, uh, including the French and the British and the Danish and uh, other governments uh, that we've been working with. And uh, this was in no small part the cause of disclosure and the uh, momentum it created. Now, of course, Americans tend to be very American-centric, and uh, our government up till now has been the real recalcitrant party in the world in terms of wanting to bring this forward. I mean, even the Vatican, uh, whose senior officials I've been meeting with since the late 1990s for about 10 years, uh, are very much in favor of acknowledging all of this. But I think what uh, people have to realize is that in America, uh, there was a silent coup d'etat that happened in the 1950s. And I mean, literally, this is the case. And because of that, the chain of command was effectively decapitated. And this is why when I first met with senior Clinton administration officials, including uh, President Clinton's first CIA director, uh, he uh, made it very clear to me that uh, they were in favor of ending secrecy on these matters, but they couldn't disclose what they didn't have access to. And I initially thought this was a prevarication and, and simply uh, them dodging the issue. And I found out that, in fact, that is very much the case and that the compartmentalized nature of uh, the so-called majestic group, as it was initially called, uh, is, is such that if they do not want the president or the CIA director or senior members of Congress to know, they simply lie to them or deny knowledge of the project. And and I think that this is the real problem uh, in, in our country. It exists to a lesser degree in other countries, but America is the big kahuna when it comes to military and intelligence uh, spending. And I think that has been the hardest nut to crack. Um, it was very difficult during the Bush-Cheney years because of the tension they had for uh, secrecy anyway. Uh, we're waiting to see if there's going to be any forward movement in this direction from the current administration and Congress. And uh, that's something we're working on. I'm actually on my way into Washington as soon as I get off this call and to meet with some people very close to the president and and to to see what can be done, but uh, it's a difficult issue to say the least. But I would say that in a sense, disclosure has happened. We did it. There were about a billion people worldwide who eventually saw all of that. The governments around the world, from China to Brazil to uh, France to uh, the United Kingdom, have been moving uh, slowly but steadily, and in the last uh, 24 months, more decisively towards. Uh, disclosure. 
And I think that what the other thing to look at are the numbers of people who believe this subject is real and not fictitious or what have you. And that's grown from 30 to 40 percent when we started the effort to upwards around 80 percent today. So I think that uh, in a sense, what I tell people, it's done. And except for the officialdom in Washington saying, yes, we have these files and yes, this is a concern. But officialdom in Washington is of two varieties. The sort of shadow governmental groups who uh, exist as a power unto themselves, as Senator Inouye said during the Iran-Contra hearings, right. and the government that we elect and appoint. And the government that we elect and appoint, uh, what most people don't realize, uh, have virtually no access to those projects. I love those words from uh, Senator Inouye. And by the way, I'm glad I'm not the only one that uses the word recalcitrant to refer to the government. Doctor, some of our listeners have expressed such interest in this interview because they have been on single or multiple training sessions with you. They have recalled to me that you have mentioned your personal knowledge on some of the earth changes that are upcoming and that you have confidently recalled information that has been given to you regarding upcoming geophysical earth changes and the ET connection with the planetary transformation event, specifically that there will be massive waves of craft or phalanx after phalanx of ET craft in the sky to observe or assist the Earth and humanity during these changes. Do you feel these craft and their beings will be here to observe or assist the humans and other biological species on on the planet during the the changes? If so, how will they do that? Uh, I'm sure that's a big part of why they're here. Uh, they're 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 not here just entertaining themselves. Um, and I think that uh, you know one of the projects, a classified project that I was uh, read into by someone who had worked in it, it was a project Red Light, and also a project Looking Glass, where classified projects out near Nellison at Edwards Air Force Base were studying some of the extraterrestrial devices that allowed imaging into the future with, of course, not 100% certainty because the future is only a probability and not, not a certainty until it happens. However, right. um, it's well known that, uh, you know, as the Chinese saying goes, unless we change directions, we're likely to end up where we're going. And if you look at where we're headed with a 7 billion people trying to live on the earth with fossil fuels and uh, the destruction of thousands of species of plants and animals just in the last uh, few decades. It, it's been called by National Geographic the, 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 the next big extinction. Uh, the uh, polar ice caps melting to the point that at the North Pole, it's virtually just a lake up there in the summer. Uh, I, I think it's not a question of if there will be these sort of uh, world-encircling uh, problems, but when and and how catastrophic and sudden. Uh, certainly, there's the possibility, if not a probability, that these things could happen, and and that I have no question that the uh, interstellar civilizations, some of whom are, I'm quite convinced, guardian civilizations of this planet and life on this planet, uh, will uh, assist. But they're not here to do and to do it before it, uh, we have a chance to. Uh, uh, learn from some of these lessons. I think one of the big evolutionary uh, uh, sort of realities is that every civilization has to learn and grow through its own process. And 
uh, you simply, a lot of people wonder why, you know, in fact, Larry King asked me this once, why don't they just land on the White House lawn and, and, right. and do whatever? And I'm going, yes, but this presupposes they would uh, be as foolish as we were when we uh, thought that we would invade countries in the Middle East and institute Jeffersonian democracy to right. medieval civilizations. And And I think that we're dealing with civilizations that know full well that uh, you cannot externally impose uh, that kind of change that we as children of the earth are responsible for how we live together with each other, what we do to Gaia, which is a conscious living being, the earth, and uh, how we evolve through that. Now, with that said, uh, it's also, I think, very true that it's known that the earth is to be a place for the evolution of uh, intelligent life, and I believe higher states of consciousness and states of enlightened society uh, for hundreds of thousands of years into the future, and therefore the possibility of, of sort of one lifespan, one generation or two generations of uh, recalcitrant people and uh, uh, sort of wayward behavior uh, allowing the earth to go the way of the dinosaurs as an entire biosphere, that isn't going to be allowed to happen. And I think that the earth has her own self-correcting process. And then the native peoples and the Hopi prophecies called this the great purification, that the earth from time to time may need to do so, so as to preserve her ability to be a place for development of, of uh, intelligent civilization into the future. Unfortunately, we're about a hundred years into an era when we should have learned these lessons, the basic lessons of how to live together peacefully, how to bring forward Tesla-like energy systems and, and anti-gravity electromagnetic gravitic systems, how to eliminate poverty and create a just society. These have all been things that have been within our grasp for 100 years, literally 100 years, and that we have not done so and that we've continued to live the way we are is not a good prognostic indicator, as we would say in medicine. And, and, I, think, and I think that this is why we are going to uh, have to make some very serious changes very quickly in, in order to get back on track from the point of view of where our evolutionary pathway uh, could have been and, and I think should have been had the correct decisions been made. And speaking, uh, Doctor, of Looking Glass and Tesla technology, last week I had Andrew Bashago on the show to discuss Project Pegasus, teleportation, and other topics. Have you heard of uh, his story? Um, I, you know, I, I honestly don't comment on personalities. I like talking about ideas. But if you have a question okay. about a concept, I'll be happy to address that. I do. The reason why I ask is because he's working feverishly to compel high-ranking government officials like uh, New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson and former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld to come forward and admit that teleportation technology has existed for decades, which would render our current transportation system useless and would incredibly benefit our environment. Have you received any information about this project? Well, not his project per se, but I certainly know that those technologies have been extant since at least the 1940s and 50s. And and we have witnesses, and I, have, in fact, am working with someone right now who's in the peak of his career, who is a, a absolute certifiable genius who has done these things in his laboratories uh, within a classified operation and who wants to work with uh, the orionproject.org to create um, one of these energy systems, just uh, not a teleportation system, but an energy generation system. But uh, he is being blocked from doing so, not from people within his command structure who actually support this, but from people outside his command st structure who answer to this uh, 
a sort of transnational fascist uh, group that's been called Majestic. And I think this is one of the real uh, problems is that uh, people should not assume that just because Donald Rumsfeld uh, was Secretary of Defense and may have known about some of these things, and, and certainly someone like Bill Richardson, um, who wasn't even allowed to support Ken Shoulders' work on charged cluster arrays. He was stopped dead in his tracks even after he announced a grant uh, for Ken Shoulders to do that work, um, that they would have any uh, power over that issue. Uh, if they had any at all, uh, it would be limited. And I think that one of the problems is this question of uh, the chain of command, uh, who knows about it, and how far they're willing to go. Now, you know, in the case of uh, back in the 1990s, a former CIA director who was read into all these projects, Bill Colby, uh, did want to do this. And he actually had set up a meeting with a, a member of my board. And that week they found him floating down the Potomac River, uh, made to look like an accidental drowning when he most certainly was assassinated. Right. And I think that one of the one of the problems, and if people read my autobiography, Hidden Truth, Forbidden Knowledge, which is at disclosureproject.org, uh, they will see that there's a long history of this sort of thing happening. And and I think that uh, this is why it's very important to put together coalitions of people. I'm rather skeptical that you're going to be get be able to get a Governor Richardson or uh, even a President Obama by himself. Uh, to to do this, you're going to have to put together a coalition of, of what I call friendlies within the uh, very uh, covert military and 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 the scientific projects that deal with this, along with uh, some leaders around the world, not just in the U.S. And say, okay, we have got to make a policy decision to make a bold change and move forward. And that's frankly, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. I'm working with one of the uh, G7 countries. Their Ministry of Defense has reached out to us to make open contact with these ET visitors for their head of state and for their government and Nobel Prize winning scientists. That is an open negotiation that's going on right now. We have uh, other governments around the world who are very interested in, in working with the current administration to try to move this forward. But it's extremely complex. And one of the things that these other governments around the world, even the very large G7 type countries did not realize until we started meeting with them is that the president of the United States or, or the, uh, any given CIA director may or may not know about any of this. And if they do know, they may have been told only a very small amount in such a way as to control their actions. For example, Ronald Reagan was told some of this information, but in a decidedly fear-based and xenophobic way so that he would support the covert funding of uh, Star Wars or SDI, which whose primary purpose was not the interception of intercontinental ballistic missiles, but the deployment of systems that would target extraterrestrial vehicles and, and knock them down uh, using very advanced scalar electromagnetic weapons. And so what happens frequently in Washington, because I'm in there about half the time I'm in Washington, D.C., meeting with people like this, is that if they know anything, they're they're given sort of a small picture. They're sort of like, if it's like a bunch of blind people holding on to an elephant, uh, they're basically having their hands shoved up the elephant's behind. And uh, right. they're, they're very rarely given a clear picture and the truth about this. And this is a real problem. One of the things we've tried to do with uh, DisclosureProject.org and also uh, CSETI, uh, the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, is to provide perspective and analysis and information from a number of different sources. You know, right now I have over 550 uh, sources around the world in, in various corporate and intelligence and military circles who have been involved with these sort of things and try to do an assessment and put the big picture together to the extent that we can. 
uh, and provide that information to the House Intelligence Committee chairman or the new CIA director or whoever it is. But it's a very difficult process because uh, not that they don't accept and believe that this is true, but they're very frightened that if it is true and they're being denied access, what does that mean? Uh, and I can tell you that uh, many of these sort of people in Washington are, are quite shaken by this. And when other foreign leaders have found out that there is a sort of transnational secret government group unto itself that, that will lie to a president or deny access to a senior admiral on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which I personally witnessed, uh, information or access to a project, this really puts a cold chill through the system. But it's the way it is. You have to deal with the, the sort of the, the, the methods that we've inherited here. And so uh, getting... Uh, the powers that be, if, it, if you want to look at it that way, the, the powers that the average American think really run uh, the government, uh, to get them involved, but not just involved and informed, but in control again, constitutionally and legally, is a very complex undertaking. This begs the question of who is really in charge, in your opinion? Well, it's, a, it's exactly what Senator Inouye said. There's a secret government with its own funding mechanism, its own Navy, its own Air Force, its own – and that quote that's in the disclosure project materials is, is an yes. absolute accurate quote. And, and, and he was 100 percent correct. And this has been known by many people in circles in Washington since the 50s. And, and uh, you know, I know who some uh, – quite a few. I mean, I've met with some of the members of that uh, committee. And, and I think that what's interesting – and I think this is another bit of very good news – is that about 70% of this, what's been called majestic, are now in favor of moving forward, ending the secrecy, and, and, and moving decidedly uh, in a new direction. Now, the other 30 or 35%, somewhere in that range, are sort of very recalcitrant and hardcore and hardliners, and they have enormous power, and they also are, are very intimidating. So, it isn't a matter of a one person, one vote. It's about power and the abuse or use of power and uh, who has it and what they're willing to do. And, and as Robert Kennedy said in his famous speech in 1966, the real currency here is moral courage, which I thought it was interesting that that's what Obama used during his inauguration kickoff on, on that Sunday, right before he was inaugurated when uh, U2 and, and Usher and all these great bands were playing on the National Mall. I was there with my family. And it was very chilling to see this quote come up on the Jumbotron where they were quoting Bobby Kennedy uh, in that 1966 speech when he said the rarest of all things is moral courage. And that's really what it boils down to. I mean, when the final analysis, you know, all of these people put their pants on one leg at a time and none of us leap tall buildings. Uh, and I think that it's about, you, you know, being willing to go the distance, even if it does not redound to your uh, political ambitions or your security or your safety or, or your personal safety or your uh, what have you. And this is, of course, a very difficult and rare trait in Washington, where you have mostly lawyers and politicians and other people who are appointed to these high offices. They tend to stick their finger in the wind and say, how can I get ahead and what's the safest way to go and how do I cover my ass, CYA? And they are not necessarily looking at what is best for the planet and what is best for the American people. If that were the case, this would have been a done deal a long time ago. Doctor, going back to your training sessions, are they geared 
towards preparing humanity to accept the visitors and to be ambassadors between them and other earthly human beings? Yes, and it has a lot to do with Rupert Sheldrake's concept of morphogenic fields, where as people in, in consciousness, particularly in deep meditative states of consciousness, begin to visualize or do something uh, or, or, or create a skill set, it tends to replicate non-locally and become, create a momentum uh, in a way that isn't even through direct contact, through uh, sort of the uh, integrating aspect of the quantum hologram that is a quant a consciousness and, and, and conscious mind. And this gets, of course, into a whole lot of areas of the science of consciousness and remote viewing and all these things that I teach on these um, expeditions and training programs. But I think that the overarching purpose of it is to train people to uh, view themselves and then behave as uh, inter interplanetary ambassadors and to have the skill set uh, of understanding what are the trans-dimensional sciences and technologies, including those that interface with consciousness and thought, that allow for communication, contact, uh, and travel uh, faster than the speed of light among star systems. So that's what we're dealing with. So it's very oriented towards that. And in fact, we're going to be having a, a gathering in uh, the desert of Arizona, uh, way out in the desert, about uh, 40 miles from Tucson, uh, on October 24th and 25th and 26th, and people can find out about that at cseti.org/contact. Uh, and we're going to have a whole conference with Colin Andrews and myself and, and Dr. Lynn Katai and uh, Dr. Ted Loader, um, really discussing these issues of contact and how it happens and uh, all the different uh, uh, manifestations of contact and all the ways that interstellar civilizations, both uh, literally uh, in, in fully materialized form, but also in other strange ways, may make contact with humans who are in a state of readiness to make contact. And by I mean a state of readiness, a, a, a state of, of open-mindedness, free of fear, free of prejudice, and a certain skill set that's based in the ability to access quiet, non-local mind and remote view distant points in space and, and uh, use these sort of uh, trans-dimensional technologies, which are built into the human reality. And that's one of the beautiful things that I always say to people is that everything you really need to have and to know is folded within you. And that's uh, very, very true. And that's what we try to unlock and, and, and remind people of and then encourage them to do so. In fact, we have people all over the world now who have formed these contact teams who have had astonishing contact. Um, much of it fully materialized with craft and beans, others that are more trans-dimensional. But it's, it's very interesting what's happening. And my view is that if we have thousands of people doing that, that it will have a, an effect within the collective consciousness of humanity and make a morphogenic field uh, pattern be created that will move humanity towards open, peaceful contact, universal peace, uh, and a whole new uh, direction uh, from where we are headed right now. And so that it's, it's, uh, it has all of those purposes, and that's very much what we focus on in giving people the skill set to do so. And by the way, I've been announcing the CSETI event in Rio Rico for the last few weeks. And uh, today I had correspondence with my good friend uh, Colin Andrews. I will be there, so I hope uh, that those of you listening uh, can go too. 
Now, Doctor, do you feel that the Earth changes that are fast approaching will be more of a function of the Earth herself going through transitions necessary for her survival or part of a more galactic-slash-universal transition? What part will any ETs that are in the vicinity play and will they also be going through this transition? Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Stephen Bassett, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.